They patrol the monuments to gridiron legends, but you better get the hell out of the way when they come rolling through. Randy Heights and Ryan Chapman are the Heisman Park Rangers, presented by the Highball Network. Well, a game was played, it was long, and there is so much to digest and talk about. It's going to take us forever, but we are here to do that. That is the Hall of Fame of Randy Heights. I am Ryan Chapman. Real quick, at Radio's Ryan, at RJHeights1077. Give us both a follow on Twitter. If you were, you saw our articles, you saw all the coverage on OU Game Days, because that's just what we do. But Randy... I guess the first thing I have to say is, you know, 53 to 45, quadruple overtime. Um, just what, what was your headline takeaway from this just absolutely bonkers edition of the Red River Shootout? I, to be honest, survival. I mean, and what's odd about it is you look at it and you're like, midway, well, heck, not even midway. Five minutes left to go in the game. You had a different headline than what you did by the time the game ended. And, and it has to be survival, just one word. Because that's, we talked about it last week, Ryan, that Oklahoma needed to find a way to win a game and not blow it. And they did it, even after blowing it. So let's just hope this is one they build off of moving forward. Yeah, for sure. And when, like, trying to, like, digest this game, it's hard to even have a coherent thread because the game was so back and forth. The momentum swings were so drastic. I had wondered coming into the game to myself, you know, we know this game is always wild because it's one of two games in the country. That's a neutral site game where half the stadium is one and half is the other. It's the only one where it's split at the 50 is, you know, the largest outdoor cocktail party is split through the end zones, things like that. Like that lends itself to you make one big play. Half the stadium is rocking and you you can pick yourself back up. So I wondered to myself, okay, all those fans are going to be missing. It's going to be limited capacity. Is this the game that finally, you know, acts like a normal football game and we were incorrect as I think that uh, our good friend Chisholm Holland described the first half best as being on all the drugs because you could not like leave the TV screen you could not leave the room or you're probably going to miss three pivotal monumental plays but this is a, a really rare game Randy where I feel like each quarter plus the overtime period had its own narrative run its entire course. And, and that I feel like that's the only way to really break this down. Do you have any objection to just going quarter by quarter here? No, no, I think, I think that's a way to do it. I mean, because it, it was just one of those games. It's so hard to explain as a whole. And, and I think you're right. You've got to break it down a little more than that. It was crazy, man. It, it was, I, I love it. I've seen so many people go, Oh, it's one of the best. OU Texas. Let's hold the phone. It's not one of the best OU Texas games ever because it's two average teams. You know, it's not like you had two Goliaths going head up. I mean, you had two teams battling for their survival, is what it was. Well, it it was not fighting. Yeah, it's not 2008 where you have literally, we thought that game was going to decide one of the representatives in the national title game when in reality it was the other one, which can you talk about? I wish there was a college football playoff that year because I almost feel like everyone would have said, look, these two teams need to be in it and we're going to make them play in the semifinal because they've already played once. So figure it out and we'll fig- we'll go to the national title game. But uh, this game, too, before we go quarter by quarter here, 
I know that a lot of people were kind of upset at the defense because they felt like the defense was the one that blew it. Texas scored all of their points in the second and fourth quarters before overtime, which lends itself to the narrative that, you know, the defense is just wearing down things like that. I honestly feel like coming out of this game, I feel so much better about the defense because I think that especially in the fourth quarter, those last two drives, I would have loved to see anything but prevent defense. But I feel like that was almost Alex Grinch putting the defense in that situation because of who Sam Ellinger is and how he moves the ball down the field. Like, I I can't really hang that on the defense. I don't think they're really set up for success there in the fourth quarter. Ding, ding, ding on both of the backs. I mean, and it's when we'll break down the quarters. I don't think you can blame really a lot of the offense that Texas got on the defense in the sense of the scoring in the second quarter. Those were two bad turnovers. Well, one of them was a bad turnover in the interception, and the other was, you know, he got hit. Everyone was ripping Rattler after that. I'm like, guys, he got sat. It's going to happen, and every now and then the ball's going to get knocked out. So I look at that quarter. Defense played great. Like you say, fourth quarter, I, I hate prevent defense and i get what you're talking about with what grinch does and it wasn't even a full prevent but i'm like man how how did you shut them down for basically because again i go back to in a way they shut them down in the second quarter too you shut them down for 55 minutes of a game how did you do that coach oh you did it by playing aggressive and letting your defenders be defenders now all of a sudden backs against the wall you need one more stop this game's over you're going home and you just let everyone step back and let Ellinger drive the field. I, I was shaking my head. I was just like, you got to be kidding me. This, this game yeah, my, uh, my grandfather calls it, uh, from a young age I was exposed to, he calls it the prevent a win defense because mm-hmm. he's like, I've never seen anyone go into that and just and you just feel good about what's going on. But we'll get to all of that plus the overtime hijinks. But, Ray, let's, let's go all the way back. Five years ago, it felt like this absolutely – just wild game, but the first quarter, and it's really funny, Randy, because our first impression of this game is not what it would turn out to be. This first quarter, Oklahoma's first drive, we've heard all week coming off their second straight loss. This is a team that is that is up to the challenge physically. They just have to work on the mentality, have to work on finishing games, need to clean some stuff up along the offensive line, bad penalties and such. Here is your first drive. Okay, you ready? Uh, that reverse action that you know I had kind of called for obviously was a disaster. They ran something similar, not a true reverse. Drake Stoops blown up for five yards. Then a false start. Then a complete pass. Then another false start. Basically, uh, OU was just trying to get back to the original line of scrimmage and punts. And I know that I was thinking, oh my God, what the hell are we watching? This team is about to just get run out of the Cotton Bowl. Uh, I was right there with you on that. I was like, that's not what you want to see out of a team that is battling for their life and that's what they're doing right now when you look at it and you thought yeah this isn't the beginning you want but going back to the defensive side look at what they did when they got out on the field like hey all right offense we got you we got you it was complimentary football in the sense of offense lets you down defense picks you up yeah that first series ryan i was all of it going yeah i never count a game over early but right. I was like, eh, this, this game may be over. And it's not that I even thought Texas was good. I just thought, yeah, it's not a good way to start. That, that's just where I'm just like, it's one of those moments where we've there have been years in the past where Oklahoma comes out flat. And that lasts much longer than just the basically, you know, three plays 
um, that it did. And, and you wonder how in the world does a team come out flat in this environment? Like, I don't understand. This is the game you come to Oklahoma to play. This is the atmosphere in college football. And it's always mind boggling how anyone can come out flat. And I was thinking, how has this happened to get, how does every other year it feels like the team's like, well, last year we came out flat. We can't do that again. The Sooners have success in the Cotton Bowl. And then the year after that, they come out flat again. I'm just like, do you guys not learn? Like you're there for more than two years. But like you said, the defense, they strip. They forced that fumble on Keontae Ingram, which I thought was going to end his day the way that he just didn't ever come back for that first half. And then it was really interesting because OU drives down and it's the exact same scenario as the first drive against uh, Iowa State a week ago. OU drives down, kind of stalls out at the two, and then uh, the field goal unit's coming out. Yeah, and you're like, great, here you go. I, I was the exact same way. You're like going, this this is too eerie, you know, and, and it just seemed like, because again, just like the first drive against Iowa State, offense was rolling. They got all the way down to the goal line and then froze up. But some of that, and we'll get all into this later, a little bit of that I thought was play calling as well. It's kind of like, just do what you've done all the way down the field. You know, and finish it out. And I thought, you know, he got away from some of the things. And it was at that moment, I felt like after that drive, they did a concerted effort in the running game. And that's, you know, for the rest of the game. They wanted to make sure, hey, you know what? We're going to run the ball throughout the game. We're going to help our defense out a little. And I think that's one reason why the defense played fairly well on Saturday till the last five minutes. For sure. And I haven't thought that on that drive until they got into the red zone, like with TJ pleasure popping off like a, what was it? I think a 26 yard run almost immediately. Sure. They moved the ball down the field against Iowa state, but you never thought there was never that moment where you felt like Oklahoma could break something big off in the run game. You, you always knew, okay, they're going to have to run the ball. And if they can get two or three yards and not get behind the chains, fine. But the big players are going to come in the passing game. And, and I just thought that was so interesting because of everything on, on the offense, the offensive line's kind of been the unit that I think most people have been most disappointed with, returning basically five starters or just plugging in Anton Harrison, which you assume if you're plugging him in, you're getting better. But you, we learned before the game, no Seth McGowan, so you're kind of down on that. And all of a sudden, TJ Pledger comes out, and it, it, he's he's a powerful runner. He's a little deceptive. He's smaller, but he has that ability to fight through contact, always be falling forward. And, uh, you know, even though they elected to kick the field goal, I was just like a good drive, I thought, for the offensive line more than anyone because they finally saw some success as far as creating big holes and just having a running back that's going to run through it and bust off some big runs. And and trust me, I wanted Seth McGowan to play. But if if you remember our podcast on last week where we were previewing the game, I said the guy that should get the majority of the carries, I was almost looking, this is going to sound crazy, as a blessing that McGowan was out because they were forced to use TJ Pledger, the guy I thought that would be the difference maker in this game because he's that veteran back that knows, hey, with an offensive line, I got to let them make those holes for me and read them. And I think that's what you saw on Saturday. And maybe this will be something that helps even Seth become a better back because now he's able to go back and watch game field of why TJ Pledger was able to make some of the runs he did and do some of the stuff. Even Marcus Major, I thought, played pretty well. I mean, I think Oklahoma now may have, in a way, the one injury helps them prove, because we had not seen Major since week one, 
they've got three backs they can go to. I'm not saying they're all equal across the board, but they've at least got three backs where maybe they can rotate guys in. And Fletcher was, he was great in that entire game, but you're right. In that drive, it was almost like gave the spark to the team. Because like you say, it wasn't like, we're not one-dimensional anymore. It's what the team had to be feeling like. We can do right. a little bit of everything. Well, and I think that sets up nicely not to jump too far ahead, but uh, going into obviously a bye week, but then TCU, you basically have three guys who you have faith in now, because I think that Marcus Major kind of earned some some respect back from the coaching staff a little bit, if if it was ever really lost. But now going to TCU, I think there's going to be some urgency in the run game, because what happens on the other side of TCU? Ramondre oh, yeah. Stevenson walks back in the door and says, all right, guys, that was fun. You had a fun first half of the season. Let me work myself back into this, and I'm going to be the feature back when it comes nut-cutting time down down the stretch here two or three games later. So it, it almost gives you that urgency over the next two or three games to prove as Ramondre wor- works his way back in, I should be the guy to be his complement. I should still get carries. Put me on the field and make yourself a guy that can't be taken off the field. So I, I think that's a real positive, and I think the defense responded as what became the story of the game for me, and we started to see the flashes of that on, on Texas's second drive is when they weren't first forcing turnovers, this front seven was getting in Sam Ellinger's face. They were suffocating in the run game. This is a question we had had, Randy, of they've been good in the run game so far, but how much of that was because teams felt they could just you know throw all over them versus how much was just great run defense? I think that coming out of this game, we know for all of Texas' shortcomings, they were good at running the ball, and OU just stifled them for four quarters, basically. And, and to be honest, it may be the best defensive line performance against the run I've seen in a couple of years. As good as they were last year at times, and you talk about the game last year where they got the nine sacks, that was still not all defensive line. And granted, it wasn't all defensive line in this game. But those guys, Winfrey, I mentioned Ellison last week on the preview show. I mean, those guys showed up and proved, hey, we're guys that are at this level. We were all Americans in JUCO because we're pretty dang good. And Winfrey was a man on Saturday. He was taking double teams, fighting through them. Ellison doing the same thing. I like what you saw out of Isaiah Thomas. Stokes even got in there and made some plays. I mean, John Michael Terry on the defensive end. I mean, that's what I liked about the defense on Saturday. And like you say, on those drives, it kind of showed. All of a sudden, it shows, hey, maybe they don't have the big all-American linemen, you know, as far as guys that are going to be the first-round draft picks right now. But where this defensive line, I think, has made vast improvements in the last couple of years is just depth. It's not like, hey, we got guys that can start and be all Big 12, and then our backups are hot garbage. You know, we've got guys, we may not have the first-team all Big 12 defensive line, but we got six or seven that are going to be second-team and all honorable mention all Big 12. You know, I mean, they've got talent. Well, and you love to see that kind of development because, you know, kind of lost in all this. And I think this narrative was a little bit lost it with talking about Sam Ellinger on the other side is that everyone's like, okay, he's the first Texas quarterback, the first quarterback from either side in this series to play in five games. Well, with that free COVID year, yes, Sam Ellinger could be coming back, but you're seeing the emergence of a guy that's like Isaiah Thomas. I don't know what his NFL prospects are, but I think we could all agree he's been a nice piece, but he's not an NFL guy this year. Well, the redshirt junior come on at right at the right time. He's got two more years if he wants them. Same with Winfrey Ellison coming in as a sophomore. Like 
you are developing the core of a defensive line that can be deep for years to come as you bring in the recruits that you want because they showed up because they showed out knowing that you know hey no one's thinking about this right now but any of these guys have an extra year if they want it and you're basically extending the life because under Mike Stoops the problem was you'd get an oboe and Mm -hmm. he would finally emerge and he'd be great for a season and a half Eric Stryker would finally emerge halfway through as a junior and be great for a season and a half, and then poof, he's gone, and you're searching for that guy again. There there should not be this long search along the Oklahoma defensive line for who can rush the passer. They can get a pass rush with their defensive front. They don't have to rely on linebackers blitzing. That's a luxury, and, and I think that this game can be that rubber stamp to say this is for real. This was not just you know some smoke and mirrors from the first two or three weeks. No doubt, and that, and I think that's what we've seen out of the defensive line all year long, and I think what's cost them, if you go back and look at the games, what's really cost the defense in the end is when they've gotten conservative, didn't play that aggressive style. They needed to blitz. They brought blitzes. That defensive line did their job. It's not always about the line getting the pressure. It's filling up the gaps where people can get through in those blitzes. And, you know, you're right in talking about this defensive line. Some of those guys you mentioned, they were undersized, your strikers. Even though Oboe's in the NFL with the Rams right now, he was a little bit undersized at that, you know, for that position in college, and he's overachieved, in my opinion, making the NFL. But now you've got guys that are the size, you know, for those defensive end rush positions or outside linebacker, however you want to classify them. That's the difference, I think, where you see where this defense can hopefully eventually be, even if it's not this year. But you see kind of the guys that Grinch wants in there, big, fast, strong, that can cause some havoc on a quarterback. And that's what happened in that second drive for Texas, even. I mean, they came out and they meant business, to be honest with you. Well, and and that uh, photo of Perrion Winfrey with the golden hat after the game, you bet that's what OU wants to put on social media leading into the game next year. Because first guy off the bus material, he's that dude. And uh, he showed out. And and finally, like we said, the complimentary football, that's why the highs were so high for Oklahoma, because Oklahoma strings together the fumble, the punt, the punt. And all of a sudden, offense goes down. Sure, they have to settle for a field goal, but points on the board. They follow that up with a touchdown drive. All of a sudden, it's 10 nothing, And this is kind of where the, the, the bad comes in. This is where we flip over to the next quarter is you get up to nothing. Your defense does the exact same thing, forces a punt. And, and they even dealt with some adversity on that drive. Texas moved the ball a little bit. Then they flexed their muscles, forced the punt. And then this is where the turnovers start to happen. OU has the ball, chance to go up 13, 17 to nothing. This is what has historically bit OU in the butt in the Cotton Bowl is like, I feel like how many times, Randy, over the last decade, 15 years, do you go into the Cotton Bowl? And if you just covered up the scoreboard at halftime, you're like, wow. Oh, you came out and dominated this game. Then you, then you look up and you're like, oh, it's tied or it's a three-point game. And you're going, what the hell's going on here? It, no doubt. And and that's been the case definitely for, I mean, you look at this. They've what, won nine out of the last 12 in this series, I believe it is. And at least six of those nine wins have been that exact way. Where it's like, wow, total domination. Why is everyone biting their fingernails come the fourth quarter? It, it's been crazy. And you know, I mean, you look at that, you look at the turnovers. I And this is where now that we're getting into the turnovers and everything, let's talk Rattler through this quarter, you know, and what happened there. That interception 
Zero excuse. That was an awful pass. But everyone that wants to rip him, yet again, we talked about this multiple times as we got into the season. That interception was a freshman quarterback getting suckered into a pass, making a freshman mistake. For sure. And that's going to happen. It's something Oklahoma fans need to wake up and realize. Let's preach this again. OU fans, you haven't had to see a first-year starter in Division One football at your school for the last, what, five years? This right. happens with a true freshman. It's going to happen. Look up north with Spencer Sanders, who I think is a very young, talented quarterback. What was his problem last year? Yeah, the, it wasn't just the turnover. It was the catastrophic turnover. Right. But he had made dumb throws. Okay. Right. So let's take them. And I'm not going to compare the two because we're, what, four games into Rattler's freshman year as opposed to Sanders playing all that season and having those catastrophic mistakes. I like the growing process you've seen out of Rattler. He's made mistakes every game, but they're not the same mistakes. You know, they may be catastrophic mistakes, but it's a different way to make it. I'm not making excuses for him, but that's how a young guy learns. Well, now, that was the doing that, that's different. That was the frustration last year, I felt like, with Jalen Hurts. Mm-hmm. That Jalen Hurts, though he Ugh. did not make though he did not make many mistakes, it was the I felt like it was the same interception, the same kind of mistake. I need which a rehab after Jalen Hurts. <laughs> which uh, you're just like, okay. Like, I get it. Yes, he's playing at a high level, but that's why I think that uh, a lot of people were sour on maybe his NFL prospects or or if he was as good as Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield before him because, like we said, it was the same mistakes. It was obvious. It was certain situations, usually the linebacker dropping toward the boundary that he just couldn't figure that out. So as long as we see next week, if Spencer Rattler goes out and throws an interception versus TCU, and maybe it's an interception because he was fooled by the coverage, as long as it's not that same thing, I, I feel like we can all say, look, Gary Patterson, defensive mind, they do weird shit in Fort Worth. Like, that's fine. It, that's just a freshman going through this conference and learning. And, and like you said, it's just that he can't make the same mistake. Similarly, on the next drive with the fumble, and, and I don't want to speed through the defense's performance there because I think it they deserve some credit for also, you know, a storyline coming in was their struggles in the fourth quarter. Well, they've been given short field but they haven't really stopped anyone from scoring a touchdown. They do flex their muscles and force a field goal there, which I thought was big improvement, which is why I'm not so sour on maybe blowing the lead in the second quarter or whatever. But on that fumble that Spencer Rattler had, yes, it's a fumble. It happens, but that's just one of those things that he has to experience getting brought down and ripped at by big, strong D1 college football defensive linemen. You got to experience that once or twice so that you can realize, okay, this is the force I have to ha- hold on to the ball to. This is the point in the play where after I have that contact and realize, yes, I'm not spinning out of it. Maybe I just need to do everything I can to dead weight to the ground. You know what I mean? Right. Like that, that's another one of those things that it happens. We haven't been accustomed to an Oklahoma quarterback doing that, but he's just going to have to learn. Well, and also I think part of that's his learning. We talked about it going into uh, the Iowa State game. He needed to learn to tuck the ball and run some, you know, and everything. Well, he started doing, or against Kansas State. He started doing that some against Iowa State. Well, you can see a guy that's still not totally comfortable being a full-fledged scrambling quarterback because he used to have all the time in the world in high school. That was a moment there, I think, where he thought, I can tuck it and run, but then he realized gap closed too soon. Like you say, instead of just, if he commits to tucking in and run, that's fine. That's where you tuck it, 
And if you get a yard, you get a yard. If you get right. sacked for five yards. So you're, you're exactly right. That's one of those mistakes. Oklahoma fans need to realize you're going to live with. And I, you know, and I look back at the benching. I, I guess it's okay, you know, because it did work out. But I think you're walking a fine line when you're dealing with the young guy. Because until those two turnovers, let's not forget, the offense had cruised in the first quarter. You know? Right. And that's where I'm like, all right. But his arm did look like it was bothering him. They said it wasn't because of injury. Ryan, you tell me your thoughts. I actually think his arm was hurt. This is mine, and then I'll get yours. His arm was hurt a little, so they put Mordecai in. And the way the offense went down and drove for Mordecai on that first drive, not his fault that they didn't score any points there. It was on that fumble. I think that's when Riley said, Tanner, you deserve another shot. And that I was okay with at that point. Yeah, I think it was one of those it very convenient excuse situations because at now after the game, like Rattler acknowledged his arm was bothering him a little bit. Okay, fine. Um, but Rattler also said that he, he kind of let it slip. He's like, I, I knew I was coming back in. So that moment, let me take a breath and settle back down to which that told me that maybe Lincoln, yes, Rattler's arm was hurt a little bit, but Lincoln was just like, Hey, get your arm checked out, but you need a minute to settle the hell back down because he was kind of getting away from the good that he was doing. It, it still looked a little chaotic. If that makes sense, the offense was oh, yeah. moving, but he definitely was still forcing balls. And here's the thing. When you're as talented as Rattler is forcing balls can look very, very good for a while. But after you turn the ball over twice, like I think Lincoln very much wanted to sit him down and say, look, man, we're going to be just fine. As long as you don't turn the ball over, turning the ball over is the only life that Texas has had in this game. And like you said, when the offense was cruising, which that TJ Pledger fumble, I hate to like absolve anyone from a turnover, but yeah, you got to hold on the ball, but he was reaching forward for that extra few yards. It was the perfect time hit from Osai. Like it's one of those things that it's not like he was, you know, TJ Pledger was holding the ball. Wasn't, wasn't secure things like that. Like it was just, like, you know, Osai makes a great play. That's Texas's best defender coming up with a big play. And when the offense was cruising, yeah, you're going to roll with Mordecai. And then, but over the next two or three possessions, we saw, well, this is why Mordecai is the backup. And Spencer Rattler has to come on at halftime because the offense is dead in the water without him. Oh, when he, when he came out of his third series, I tweeted, all right, nice job, Tanner. And I'm not trying to rip the kid, but time to get your clipboard. I mean, because yeah. you just, it, like you say, it was easy to see. Why Rattler won the job and not Mordecai? Why they're so high on Rattler for the future and not Mordecai? I mean, there's a clear difference. You give me Mordecai for a half if Rattler gets banged up, I'm fine with that. But yeah, putting him in that situation, I'm like you. I think it was just a settle down and breathe. But I was glad to see him come back in in that second half. And really, his his only touchdown drive outside of that first good drive was a huge play. Finally, OU special team showed up and made a positive impact mm-hmm. on the game because OU special All teams. Over the place. Yeah, OU special teams was it was the catalyst for Kansas State getting back into the game with the block punt. It was the um, it was the the shining moment where. OU, I feel like, lost all of their confidence they had worked to build up after the fumble and the touchdown at Iowa State was that kickoff return. And uh, yes, they were aided by the fact that the Texas punter decided that he was going to take four trillion steps before attempting to kick the football, which is just the most 
It was the most Tom Herman coach team thing ever because it's a rugby punter and you think, oh, we're going to be smart here. We're going to we're going to we're going to take the steps and analyze and see if we can't pick up a cheap fourth down. And they just forgot to do the basic thing, which is punt the damn football on fourth down. It's like Tom Herman's teams like think they can think their way out of a paper bag only to like find themselves deeper in another full. It's bizarre. It, it It is. And that that point, you're right. I kept thinking. What's he doing? Is he faking it? But then you could tell by the way he's running. It's like, no, he, he's not faking it. And I could see the defender coming in. I'm going, I was like, I'm feeling pretty good about this. I really thought they were just going to tackle him because I thought, okay, the kid's smart enough not to kick, right? He's just going to fall down in a big pile and go, I screwed up. And then I was shocked when he punted it. And then, Ryan, right before halftime, remember when Texas was driving? The only thing that saved them from not getting another punt I guarantee you, Shane Beamer told the guys, look, you can pressure, just don't do anything, because all that would have done was set Texas up for a end-of-the-first-half field goal to give them the lead. Because if you go back and look at that replay, I don't remember who it was, but as he punted it, the OU guy's running up and doesn't have his arms in the air or anything, just kind of runs up and stops like a yard short. I'm like, Wow, if they would have gone out for the punt, they're blocking that punt at that point. Yeah, that was that was the standard, you know, duck out of the way to not get that 15 yards like you said. But like on the block punt, Randy, I think I've actually only ever seen that one other time before that specific play. And that is, you know, a year or so ago, I was playing Madden on my PlayStation and as I was going to punt, my internet kind of cut out and it's buffering, buffering, buffering. My punter doesn't do anything. And then all of a sudden the other team has the ball in the end zone. And I'm just, you know, throwing controllers and unplugging stuff from the wall. That's the only other time I've ever seen that. <laughs> oh, my God. It was crazy. But that was the momentum turner in the game in the sense to get OU, I think, propelled. Even though the way the rest of the half went, that moment kind of settled everything down because, hey, the offense, I thought, was able to take a breath and go, Defense has already gotten us one fumble recovery. We've gotten that one. If you go back and think about it, I believe it was earlier in the game. If it wasn't for a holding call, they had already had an interception of Ellinger as well. The defense was forcing things, you know, and I think that gave the offense, no matter what the score was on the scoreboard, a chance to kind of breathe and not feel like, hey, we're in a true shootout here, you know. Right. That was kind of the thing to me in that second quarter. And I know they evened it up and everything. I never felt like at that point in time, oh, God, this is one of those shootout moments. And you got Ellinger on the other side, and he's just really rolling. I, I, right. I never felt that way. I felt like what they got in that second quarter and the scoring in the first half, for the most part, Oklahoma had given them. You know, it wasn't like Texas went out and earned it. And so you're like, at halftime, you thought, all right, they're in a good spot here. Yeah, because Texas drive to tie it up at 17 all. You're just like, okay, this is an offense that came into the game and was averaging 51 points again. You're not going to blank them the whole time. Like Ellinger is a good college quarterback. I know we like to make fun of him, things like that. But Ellinger has that just gamer toughness. Yeah, like he's going to take you on a touchdown drive once a half. Like that's just it's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, Ellinger is like the Avenger that you know, when they're all getting on the plane to fly out and save the world that they almost forget about and they go back and get, you know, like the plane's already loaded. That's what Sam Ellinger is. You know, he's a good, serviceable guy. Anyone that thinks he's going to play in the NFL, unless it's a fullback or a tight end, you're smoking drugs right now. 
I mean, come on, his hero as a kid was Chris Sims. That tells tells you what kind of a hero he is. I mean, yeah, I, it's like I, I wish I could find Roy Williams' tweet, and he basically said the same thing today. I thought it was so funny because it's like, all right, you're Chris Sims. I'm his dad. I'm going, really? That's that's who you want to be? That's is that not right. anyone else? You know, right. not not anyone else. Uh, he's like uh, what the Spider Man when Spider Man just wants so bad for Tony Stark to accept him, and Tony's like, like okay, you can help us some places, but you're you're more you're more of a help when you're just sitting over there and waiting. You've, you know, you've seen Spider Verse, you know, with all the different Spider Man. Right. He's like the pig one. It's just like what are you? Yeah, Spider Pig. Yeah, what are you? Okay, yeah. Sorry, and and no, and, and I I think I tweeted this out at halftime too that I was like, this is going to be the most bizarre halftime talk ever because I feel like it's whatever coach has had more training with like yoga to be able to set their players down and just say, I want everyone to meditate for ten minutes. That was just a batshit crazy first half, and, and I think that Lincoln Riley had the more powerful message, kind of like we've indicated: is look, guys, defense, you're playing great offense let's just take a breather we're not i know it says 17 17 but like you said we're not in a shootout everything they've gotten we've just laid on a platter for them so if you just clean that up you have to like your chances and that's what we saw in the third quarter yeah and in the third quarter oklahoma just came out and pretty much asserted their will i and you mentioned him earlier harrison played even a lot more than we've seen and i've been begging for this he was the starter on the depth chart for a reason and go back and look at Oklahoma's run game look at some of the blocks when you see some of the big runs who was involved in those it was Harrison it's like guys why why did it take to week four for him to be in there that much granted I know he was in we don't know if he is COVID positive or just contact trace or whatever but it's like Man, you you just saw the difference, and it goes back to this. It's not that that changed a lot of the guys on the offensive line, Ryan, but it helped some of those guys not feel like they needed to pick up the slack for someone else that's playing a different position. Creed Humphreys, best game he's played all year long. He looked more like a first-round center draft pick in this game than he has all year long. I mean, a lot of people have been saying he's maybe hurt his draft stock, and I don't think they were wrong. It's something he can regain as the year goes on. But he looked like he knew, I don't have to worry about helping this guy out over here, this guy, because my guy's bigger and badder than the other guy on the other side of the ball from them. And that that's the one thing that offensive line did in the third quarter, impose their will. Well, And I think that just from a more 10,000-foot view, the youth movement was the story coming out of halftime in the third quarter and we can run it down. I know this is, you know, media probs and no one wants to hear that, but my story, my post game story at the end of the third quarter was about the maturation of these young guys. Cause we, when we go down the list, okay. On defense, you started to see Woody Washington. You started to see Eaton in there. You started to see, you know, some weird fiddling of Cradell. You started to see Trey Norwood play a little safety. It was pretty weird. A lot more rotation on that defensive line. And then that first three and out, who is the catalyst for that first touchdown drive? It's freshman Marvin Mims with a fantastic punt return, setting OU up in position. You talk about Harrison coming in. They kind of ground and pound that first drive. Well, the second drive, the one that was the absurd let me make sure i got this right yes 17 play 87 yards 807 off the clock 
who was the superstar on every third down it felt like theo weiss the guy that we've been saying it's he has the he has the ability he just needs some time to step up have some confidence at the end of the third quarter you're saying spencer rattler played his ass off theo weiss has arrived anton harrison is here stogner is looking like that dude you look on the defensive side of the ball woody washington's come in and given them a jolt and, and let them kind of move players around and you're going this was a growing quarter, and this is what Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch have been waiting for. At some point, you can coach guys up all you want, but you're just going to have to throw them out there, and it's going to have to click for them on an individual level. And it seemed like it was infectious. Every single young guy who we had circled to become that dude was that guy in the third quarter. No doubt about it. And I want to go back to Theo Weiss. He's the one I've been saying everyone's in love with Marvin Mims, and I think he is a freak athlete. He's your speed deep guy. I mean, I'll be honest right now. There's a part of me. I'm almost done with Rambo being the speed deep guy. He drops some balls, and he's made critical catches at times, but he's frustrating. Theo Weiss, though, I said they needed, what did we talk about last week? He needs that safety blanket. Right. I think in this game, he found two safety blankets. It was the best I've seen Stogner play with him. And Theo Weiss became that guy, like you said, on that one drive. How many, none of them are big, long plays. How many of them are like five, six yard outs, you know, where you just catch it, move the chain, catch it, yeah. move the chain. Yeah, so second and six, six yard ca- catch for Theo Weiss there. Then you had a, a 10 yarder for Theo and then another, yeah, nine yarder. So they're, they're just... You know, for what we've come to expect out of this offense, it's not Marquise Brown taking a screen in the middle of the field to the house. It's not CD yeah. Lamb come and stop with five guys around him and all of a sudden he's in the end zone. It was, you know, death by a million paper cuts. And that's what wears down and demoralizes a team. That's when this Lincoln Riley offense is rolling. No doubt about it. And I thought what we saw to Marvin Mims early in the game was great. But the one criticism I have of him yet again for the second straight game, you see him flash in the first and second quarter. And then it's almost like he disappears. Now, some of that's what defenses are doing. And, and, but that's my one concern with him. I had a feeling Joshua Eaton was going to play. He tweeted on Thursday, big things coming in a few days. And that was my sign there. All right, finally, they're starting to rotate these defensive guys in. And you know who also looked better on Saturday that no one wants to talk about? Yeah, Buki had a pass interference, but he played better. Trey Brown had a holding, but in the grand scheme of things, he played better. You know why all these guys played better? Let's go back to the front four and what those linebackers were able to do. When they're able to get pressure on a quarterback and they're not able to stand back there for 10 minutes, you're not going to get those pass interference. You're not going to get the hold. So it became a not just a team as far as offense and defense. It was a complimentary defense on Saturday, I think, is one reason they were so successful. And those young guys were a big part. I'm really curious, too, about, so we talked about on that second drive, Trey Brown picks off Sam Ellinger, has it called back. Like, by the rule, it is the softest holding in the world. Mm. And, like, that's something that's never called. I understand that he technically was nudging his elbow on the back. Like, I get bad call. 
But I almost wonder if seeing that success, knowing on the first two drives, you force a fumble and then you feel hard done by, it looked like there was this infectious confidence because all of a sudden, like we said, when when guys are double covered, that under help is making plays on the ball. How many times did Buki come across and actually break up a pass instead of waiting and trying to just rip it out of a guy's hand? You saw Jaden Davis making plays on the ball and then it eventually led to the Woody Washington interception, which we'll get into. But uh, the only negative that you can say is, oh, you gets it rolling. They're up 31 to 17 and the defense three times. The defense hands the offense, the ball back yeah. two of them. I, I, one of them's a three and out. One of them, I think Texas got a first down and then punted basically a three and out. And then that Woody Washington interception, which was a fantastic play on the football. I'm um, not a guy coached by Mike Stoops, might I add you. And uh, he was able to whip his head around, track the ball, realize it's underthrown, make a play, which is what every other damn defense in the Big 12 does against Sam Ellinger when he throws those occasional ducks. This is where the offense has to take that final step. This is why I think that blowouts are, are just shelve it till next year. OU fans, you're going to be in a lot of close games because this is the young team. They finally overcame it and won. But you just needed a field goal across three drives, and Texas just doesn't have enough time to do anything, and the offense can't deliver it, and that's why we end up going into overtime. Well, and and I think you may be right. There may be close games, but also I think a win like this could propel them into getting a few of those blowouts where, hey, almost like we did the same things how we lost Kansas State, how we lost Iowa State, but we won this game. So maybe. At least it's a positive feeling in that locker room. And now it's really a lot easier to learn from what they've done right and wrong, you know, in this game. And I, I think maybe that's where you look at it because, yeah, those drives kill me. And I know we can go back to the last drive before Texas really started the snowball effect and everything as far as tying it up. But that that's what I guess was what was frustrating to me. Even though they didn't get a first down on that drive, that was the only drive out of those three where I felt like Riley was running an offense back to, like you said, your grandfather said defense not to lose. Right. That was the one drive I thought he ran it out of those three drives where it was an offensive drive. I thought the other two was almost the prevent style offense. Hey, they know you're going to run, so you run. They know you're going to run, so you're going to run. And he didn't do all that on that drive, that last drive. Now you can criticize him for throwing it. But that ball was on the money to Stogner. Oh, just, I'm, you know, it dropped. I mean, I'm why here not? for it because, yeah, I've I've begged Lincoln Riley to open up the playbook to put away a team. Sure, the ball was slightly behind Stogner, but he's got to catch that. I, I think the one that, like you said, that really kills people is that, you know, reverse to Weiss, which yeah. I know that Theo's had a big game, but of everyone in that wide receiver room, if I'm running a jet sweep or reverse, I want Mims with the ball. He's been the one that has that speed, but also doesn't dance. I would take Mims over Rambo just because Rambo has a propensity to dance. But in the fourth quarter of a big game, sure, I'm cool with riding the speed and experience of Rambo. That's the one that I kind of question. And I think that maybe the thing that could turn this around is it's a lot easier in this fourth quarter when the defense is going over film for Alex Grinch to walk in there and say, look, guys, I put us in a bad position because we didn't do the things that got us here. Whereas against Kansas state, you have a slant covered and you, you can't bring down Deuce Vaughn and he's running 70 yards or there's a coverage bust or things like that. Like I, I think that that was more on how Grinch called that. And yeah, someone has to, at some point you have to overcome 
you know, coaching. I don't want to call that bad coaching because that's what that's situational coaching. But you, you have to overcome that and make a play to end the game. But like, I, I think that makes it a lot easier to rebound from and prevent going forward. No, I, I agree. And it's kind of like I saw Dabo last night in his postgame interview after the Clemson Miami game. He said they had a lot of things to work on. He goes, or no, it was Saban. I'm sorry. It was Saban after they'll miss. He goes, but it's a lot easier to work on these things after a win than it is after a loss. You get your guys' attention. Now they're happy. They won, but it's still easy to get their attention and keep going. And I think that's what can be done out of this game because, yeah, I feel like you can look at it a lot. It was players. Players have to make plays. But how that game ended in regulation, I blame a lot on coaching. You know, I mean, but also – not to get into gripiness here, have you seen that last four, that one play with Texas? I think was it on the holding call. Oh, oh yeah, where Kante, where Kante Ingram has is like basically just ripping into a guy's neck because he got beat so bad that he's trying to no, pull it back. No, not that one. I'm talking about where they put time back on the clock. Oh, oh penalty, yes. And instead of putting the time that should have been back on, they put like 30 seconds extra on the clock. And I'll be honest, I didn't even notice that until I saw Jason Kersey tweet about it. I'm like, okay, Kersey's tweeting about it. This is legit. You know, it wasn't some crazy fan. I mean, what in the world is that about? Well, and when Texas scores with 14 seconds left, because like some someone also put out that not only is it the, you know, yes, okay, so it was 30 seconds added back. They scored with 14 seconds left. That tells you. But also it's the situational play calling of we talk about Lincoln Riley throwing that pass on third down well if there's 30 less seconds on the clock and you start doing the basic math and say okay well if we snap it with two seconds left and we run the ball then after the punt at most texas has no timeouts and 40 seconds to go the entire distance of the field that is when everyone says yes you run the ball you don't do the you know the throw the ball thing if you pop it off you win but if not your defense has to last 40 seconds and 90 yards like if you don't do that you don't deserve to win the game no matter what the call is no no doubt and i get that but i was just shocked when i saw that because i'm like how was that not made more of a deal up but we can get in all that the fourth quarter was a debacle the overtime though ryan but before we get to overtime i have i have something even bigger than the time that i want to talk about yeah where the hell are tom herman's balls How do you score with 14 seconds left in a game that you have not been in? Even when it was tied at halftime, you were not in the game. You didn't deserve to be in it. Oh, you had held them to like 180 yards at at some point near the end of the third quarter. Like you, 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 you weren't in the game. You didn't deserve to be in the game. OU has not stopped Sam Ellinger running the ball inside the 10 yard line all day. If I'm Texas, would you? Any fan in the stadium says, I'm giving Sam Ellinger in OU Texas the ball at the three-yard line to go win the game. Is everyone saying yes? I'm saying yes. I think everyone on the OU side is saying, yeah. I'm saying yes, too, but I think maybe. I'm going to give him a little benefit, benefit of the doubt. What you were just saying there, right, Ryan, was how they dominated. Hadn't done anything really for the most part, that OU hadn't given them until they went into prevent defense. Only thing I can think of, which to me is an omen for his team and how he feels about how tough they are, he knew if he goes for two at that point in time, OU had played a prevent defense all the way down the field on the last two drives. 
At that point, Grinch is going to put in his normal guys, do his normal setting, and this isn't being cocky, but did he just think at that point in time, hey, if they play straight up against us, we're not going to do this. We're going to lose the game by going for two. That's the only thing I can think was going through his head that he thought, wait, they've been playing prevent, but if we go for two, they're going to play straight up, and those guys are going to eat our lunch. I don't think it would have happened, but that's the only thing that could have gone through his head. And it's like, I think in a in a vacuum, normally take take logos off the helmet, take people off the sideline. You're telling me Team A has not been in the game, but they're mm-hmm. the experienced side. Team B has been in control, but already this season they've shown they can blow leads. They're young. Sure, I can see go into overtime, let the seniority take over, but it's not, you can't take this game out of a vacuum. This is OU Texas. This is a team or a coach in Tom Herman that fell to one and four against Lincoln Riley at Texas. This is a, a coach that is coaching for his job. It may not be this year because of COVID and numbers and stuff like that, but I feel like of all places, Texas can come up with some money if they well, want to make a move be this year. I think. Yeah. I'm just like, was he just scared that he would be tarmac that he'd get the uh, Kiffin treatment if he went for two and missed it? Cause I feel like if I'm Texas admin, I'm saying I'd, I'd rather you say we're that program. That's going to be aggressive. And, and we you know ran out of time. Like I'd rather be that team than the one that lost in overtime. I'm telling you right now, that's what I think. I think it was the tarmac thing. I think he thought they've kicked our ass on that line pretty much when they go straight up all day long. I think they would have scored. You think they would have scored. But I think he thought, I can't risk this. And he felt good, which because Ellinger is the veteran quarterback. I think he felt good. Let's tie this up. I feel better about my senior going out there and making the plays than the freshman going out there and making the plays for the victory. Yeah. Which in a way, still boggles the mind when you look at not only had the defense for Oklahoma when they went out and played straight up and normal defense contained Texas pretty well, the Oklahoma offense had moved up and down the field on Texas when they just ran their offense. So I don't know where you get the confidence that you're going to win in overtime either at that point. Uh, We're not in Mensa though, Randy. Yeah. Neither is he anymore. He may want to go there after he's looking for a job. Maybe they can help him find a new one. <laughs> Mensa has kicked Tom Herman out. Are we reporting that? Are we going to be the first yes. one? Yes, because somebody should. I'm sorry. Okay. There were so many calls in that game. Just coaching. Well, it was bizarre. But but I think the biggest thing and the headline takeaway, I think, should be that for the first time all season, OU took some punches and got back up off the mat. And in overtime, I thought that Spencer Rattler was excellent. I thought that you saw every bit of the arm talent we've been told of. He had a couple of plays that he he put it where only the OU receiver could get it and nobody else at all could get it. I think of gosh, what was was it the the third the last touchdown? Not the last touchdown. It was one of them right there on the goal line that uh he put it right there for Stogner and I was like, "Ah, oh, that was the same play that Taylor Cornelius failed to convert a two-point conversion on." And uh, yeah, I was, I was sitting yeah. there and I, I think that was the second touchdown. Yeah, it was, it? It, no, it was the two point conversion after the Stoops touchdown. So the last touchdown and the fourth overtime, I was like, that looked pretty much like the same play that corn dog uh, had open and just limped it into the end zone. And, and he put it right on the money where only we could come away with it. It was perfect touch. Oh, the I thought you said yeah. yeah, that was yeah. the two point. Yeah, that Weiss one was the most impressive to me. 
My goodness, and that and I was just like, wow. But uh, we have to talk about the field goal hijinks. Oh, my God. And, you know, people. Oh, God, Ryan. I don't know if we start on Texas's side. Let's start on Texas. I mean, I didn't think that was hijinks. That was great play back to special right. teams. Rare in head. I got to believe Shane Beamer, who was brought in for special teams, heard everyone talking because that unit. And the way they played on Saturday, that's that's not even a special teams unit I've seen at Oklahoma in the last three years. Right. That was incredible for them throughout the game. Well, even going back to that punt return, like Joel Klatt was mm-hmm. basically drooling on the broadcast about how every time it was inches away from being a block in the back, immediately everyone's hands were thrown straight up to say, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. And that can only come from Shane Beamer going in there, putting everything on film and saying, we have lost this team two games, not anymore. We're going to go out and win one back. And uh, yeah, Perrion Winfrey gets out there, gets the hand on it. And uh, then Lincoln Riley decides it's field goal time, baby, wrap it up. And you know what? I, I've seen so many people. My brother called me after the game. Why did they do that? Why, you know, even after they won, why did they settle for the field goal? And I even told him on the phone. I said, "Look, hey Burkich, I'm not going to criticize anything Riley did with that because it wasn't like he said, hey, we're going to settle for a 60-yard field goal attempt.' Right. That, that's chump change. He hadn't missed one that wasn't chump. I mean, you know, the one he missed in game one or was it two of the year? Oh, Iowa Kansas State. State. Iowa State. That's right. It was what. 56 yards, 55 yards, whatever. You know, okay, those are going to miss. This was a chip shot. And then it's like, oh, my God. But did you see the hold? Oh, yeah, the hold was bad. I mean, so I feel bad for Gabe, but it's just like, I can't even rip Riley for doing that because I understand it because all that can happen if you keep trying to go score a touchdown there, in my opinion, for the most part, is bad. But when, when you've got a kicker as good as Gabe, if you had a crappy kicker then yeah but when you've got a guy that hasn't missed one of those field goals in his career take the points and go home well and and the guys that you you have to put the ball in the hands of to decide the game tj pleasure had already fumbled spencer rattler had already fumbled um tanner mordecai i know you can't he wasn't in the game but oh my gosh it was a freaking slapstick comedy routine when he had to he was scrambling just pops the ball off his knee. I feel like Lincoln was like, look, we've played with all the luck we can get, get to know the field, get down, put Gabe Burkich out there. And and yeah, the hold was bad, but he just, he just pulled it. And that happens at college kickers, even to the best of college kickers that happens. And uh, thankfully it, it didn't come back to bite him. But uh, this is one of those things that I, I understand. The only play call for Lincoln, I really question was the reverse to Weiss and maybe just like the sequence of play calling before that last one where he threw it to Stogner. This one, I like, this is what I had in my head. Oh, you missed the field goal. Okay, it's time to run it two or three times just to inch it a little bit closer and then get yourself a first down. That way, I was thinking, you know, I thought once they got to third down, it was going to be a, all right, let's roll it out there. That way you tell the, you tell the holder, mm-hmm. anything goes bad, just fall on it. We've, it's fine we've it's untimed doing it on second down it's even better you get two shots at it like yeah like i think that was the right call i think that's what every coach would do if gabe burkage was on the sideline like it's hard for me to find fault in that hey ryan i'm not gonna lie to you there's a part of me as soon as they blocked the field goal i looked at my wife and i said i think i just run gabe out right yeah. now 
just, just we're going home, boys. Get get your ass out there. Here we go. I mean, and I know you wouldn't, but there was a part of me as good as Gabe Burkich is. I was like, just just run him out there. Finish the game. Let's go home. You got the win. And this is one of those moments where, like you said, with Nick Saban, it's a lot easier to teach it when you win. This is where I hope Shane Beamer goes to the holder and says, look, bro, we rolled you out there on second down. I know you're not thinking about that, but the second that you feel like, nope, fall on it, fall on it, whatever, you, whatever your kill call is to Gabe, just fall on it. Let Gabe kick you in the back. We'll call the timeout so that you have enough time to get ready and, and be ready for the next one. <laughs> I'm with you because, yeah. Uh, that was just crazy. I, and I'll be honest, at that point, that's when I thought, all right, maybe the football gods are just against OU this year. I, I really did because I thought they may not win this game now. Well, at I mean, that point, because- I was at that point, I was like, can we just meet at midfield and say no one deserves to win this game? Because as as much as OU dominated most of it, like if you can't, all the chances you were given to put it away, it's just not meant to be. And hey, Texas, about- and Texas can't win it. You know, the game winning overtime. Let's talk about that real fast. Because we want to talk about guys that grew up. I thought what Spencer Rattler did on that drive after they missed the field goal, you know that's a young freshman thought, I've got my first OU Texas win. He didn't let that bug him at all. They came out and they looked like offensively on that drive. It was mission time. Like, well, yeah. Like, all right, no, we're doing this. We're ending this right now. And, and that's what was so important. Well, everyone but Rambo. Everyone but Rambo said it was mission time. We're ending it right now. Because <laughs> he should have he should have had that first one. No, that's true. That's true. But you get what I'm saying. And for the freshman quarterback, you want to look at the positives? Maybe it was a good thing Burkich mentioned it because it made Rattler go out there and go, my team, we're going to do this. It was one of the first times because as good as he's played, and I've never criticized him really this year because you look at his numbers, you look how he's played. I thought he's played very well for a freshman. But we said leaders last week, Ryan. It was one of the first times I really felt like Rattler totally took over as the leader of that offense. Right. You know, where he just kind of went, my team, this is what we're doing. Yeah, and I think that the defense fed off that, honestly, because – they were, I think the only reason that Texas had that first, you know, nice little rush is because they were aggressive and they were going yeah. at Texas. I think they basically said, look, obviously our, our strategy in the first few overtimes wasn't that effective. When we started to really turn it up is when we went after them in that third overtime, knowing that the offense could come back out and bail us out if we missed Me, it. Go back to playing like they did for the first. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And 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 they came out there and sure, they gave up that one run, but I think they came up, they gave up the run because they over-pursued and then, you forced Texas into the penalty. And then for once it was the only other time that I felt like in the OU Texas series that when Ellinger just lofts one of his ducks up in there, Trey Brown, you know, turned around and was like, Oh shit, I can catch that. I'm allowed. I'm allowed to do that. Hell yeah. You know what though? Trey Brown on a funny note, he's got to be in Sam Ellinger's nightmares, right? Oh yeah. I mean, just he's going to wake up at age like 75 going, Trey Brown, Trey Brown. No one's going to have an idea what he's talking about. But I mean, that that's the one thing I will say. You got to feel bad for him on that because Trey Brown has just been all over Ellinger his entire career, it seems like. Yeah, it's it and, and it's good for Trey Brown just because like he's maligned and, you know, I, I he's, he's a college kid. I, I hate to pour on him, 
you know, the same thing of, you know, he makes his biggest mistakes in front of millions of people. I make mine in the back office when I'm working with you and you say, hey, let's not do that next time. You know what I mean? Right. But no, I'm with you. But he's he's been much maligned because he's been an easy target. And for him to come up big and and I know that people were saying because especially it's it's that uh, he had the he had the penalty, I think, that extended the drive in, in Ames where the next play was the house call, you know, and, and for him to come out, get that interception, you know, it, it's good for him. And it's one of those things that you wonder if that's what turns it around. That I don't expect a Parnell Motley-esque turnaround, but but maybe it's that little bit of confidence they need going into Fort Worth in two weeks that everyone plays better. Cause now similarly with the offense, we talked about it with the running backs. You have some corners, young guys who came in, put some good tape out there. There's competition across the board everywhere, except I think really the trenches. And that's because everyone's played so well that, you know, everyone's going to get some time. No doubt. I, I think you're right. And, you know, I think this year of all years with it being a young team, I'm glad there's a bye week before that TCU game. It lets this team, I'm not going to say they're going to celebrate for two weeks, but it lets them, maybe the coaching staff, get the attention of the guys. It may take to Tuesday to kind of really calm them down to go, all right, guys, that was great, but you're only two and two. Your goal, you want to win your sixth Big 12 title? We can't stumble anymore, and we need a lot of help. I mean, so that's why I'm kind of happy there's a bye week this week for them. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's also one of those things where um, this is the last week that they're going in, having to deal with some of the key suspensions. You really like the thought of being able to make sure, hey, in case there was any contact tracing stuff, that's another seven days that they can wind off Mm -hmm. the clock that you're missing no one else. Because what have we said? This is a team that against Kansas State and Iowa State, I I know I've fallen into this. I don't know if it's a trap or whatever, but they've just had one or two too many opt-out suspensions injuries right. to, to, to sustain and, and to withstand that and, and so any extra day like you said not only to make sure that they come back in even keel against tcu because because you're going to need it you have to think your way through that game which is not always what you want to do on a football field it, it also makes sure that hey this is the last game before we get everyone back that we want and then we can really start to work those guys in and, and hopefully become a different team down the stretch. Hey, and you know what? It gives the NCAA 14 days to finally figure out how the appeal process works. And just think if Ronnie Perkins is part of that defensive line against TCU. Yeah, I mean... I that, mean, that, I would think whatever would be done by then. You you would hope so. You would hope so, depending on uh, everything that's been floating around out there. And I don't want to get into too big of a speculation that... Uh, you know, maybe all parties need to need the extra 14 days to get it together. So I'll say, yeah, yeah. but uh, you, you'd think that either way, like the TCU offense has not done anything this year that really makes you worried I mean, about it. Texas. Well, I mean, now that you've now that you've done that, do you, you too worried about that? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I yeah. told you their defense was hot trash last week. I mean, garbage. Oh. Yeah. Wait. We can talk Chef's about OU, but you know we're towards the end of this podcast, and we'll talk OU multiple times. But would you not like to be working in Austin right now? There is currently a dumpster on fire somewhere somewhere right now because I know what everyone says in the COVID era: lack of money or less money coming in. I if there's one school like you said that can afford it, it's Texas, and let me tell you. Tom Herman's got some pretty big weeks ahead. 
And if you're an Oklahoma fan, you want them to wake up and win some games. You need them to beat K-State. You need them to beat Iowa State. Here's the thing. You can take care of, you just need to be second place to make the Big 12 title game. So you need to make sure Kansas State and Iowa State are taken care of for you. You can take care of everyone else yourself. Well, and, and without getting too deep down the scenario rabbit hole, like ideal world for Oklahoma is Texas wins out because that means, like you said, they hang a loss on Iowa State, Kansas State, and Oklahoma State. OSU, other than that Texas game, beats everyone else. And then if OU, obviously, you're going to have to win out anyway. OU hangs that second loss on OSU. Then you're saying that Iowa State and Kansas State have two losses from OSU and Texas. Texas and OSU have two losses and you have the tiebreaker. And guess what? Iowa State and Kansas State have to play each other. So someone has to lose that game. And boom, that that is your easiest path to Arlington. Yeah, I mean, even though I don't know all the tiebreakers, that's where we can get into the scenarios. Let's see why, how they do in a couple of weeks. But sometimes when you lose two head-to-heads, like Iowa State and Kansas State, and you're tied with two, you may be automatically out before they go to the next level of tiebreakers. So I don't know how it works in the Big 12 for sure. That's why there's a part of me, if you're you're OU, you want Iowa State to find a way to lose three conference games. You want Kansas State to find a way to lose three conference games. And you'll worry about everyone else you deal with. Because if you can at least get to that, stay at the two-loss spot, then it's only a battle between, you know, TCU, which has already got a loss now. They're going to have two if you beat them. So Oklahoma State, if you beat them, as long as you beat them, even if they end with one loss in the regular season, you're going over Texas. Right. So, I yeah. mean, that's that's kind of where I'm at. Just got to get some losses. We'll see. We'll get into all that. I mean, it's going to be a fun couple of weeks. Well, yeah. And we have with, a game, game to talk about. Yeah, with the, with the bye week, we can get out some of the red yarn and, and we can go to Conspiracy Theory Corner, my favorite place to be in college football. But, uh, yeah, I mean, just – Remember, I was surfing Reddit after the game, and and here's where our friends down south are at. Uh, I saw a guy that basically said, I could take this shit with Charlie Strong because at least he was a good dude and we knew he was running a good program. He's a Texas fan, and he says that Tom Herman is a douchebag and has the most punchable face in football, and that's their head coach, and they're not winning games. So, you know, you could be there. Exactly. That That's a nightmare. Hey, you want another thing to think about for our next podcast? Let's do it. Because I, I, I think the next one we talk a lot of OU, it's going to be a recap. But since we don't have a game, how about this stat? And I'm not trying to compare them, but, but I do get a little irritated sometimes how national media will defend the SEC and bash the Big 12. Um, defense is allowing less than six yards per play. The SEC has seven doing that. The Big 12 has eight. Defense is allowing more than seven yards per play. The SEC has three of them doing it. The Big 12 has zero of them doing it. And I'm not trying to make judgments because I'm, hey, Alabama, I do think is the cream of the crop. But let me tell you, if that would have been yesterday instead of Alabama, Clemson, uh, Mississippi, if that would have been Oklahoma, Texas with the same records as both of those, say Oklahoma was undefeated and Texas had the record, what's Mississippi now? One and two, I think it is. Right. And they would have been one and one going into that game. They would have been throwing everyone under the bus on how bad that game is. Yeah. I mean, that's 
So those are things I think we need to talk about over the next few weeks because I think this COVID period, and I'm going to give the SEC the benefit of the doubt like I had the Big 12. It's had a big effect on a lot of people. And I think you're going to see, I don't know how many teams you're going to see go undefeated in college football this year. I yeah. think Clemson's won, but I don't know if you're going to see anyone undefeated in the SEC. The one that might, might be Georgia, but their lack of offense, I think, is going to catch up with them in the end. Well, and it's just funny that uh, our buddy Keegan Renault put this out on Twitter. Remember how uh, at one point Alex Grinch was the maligned defensive coordinator at, at Ohio State and Pete Golding was the apple of every Sooner fan's eye headed into that Orange Bowl? Yeah. Things change. Oh, yeah. Hey, I said this and we saw it Saturday. The SEC's biggest nightmare has come to town. That's Lane Kiffin and Mike Leach in that league. Because all of a sudden, they're not going to, I don't think either one of them are ever going to coach to a national title level at those schools. But what they're going to do is upset the alpha cart somewhere along the lines. Well, they're going to normal year when Alabama's undefeated, they're going to go drop 65 on them and win. They're going to they're going to drag the conference into the mud, just like Mike Leach did when he was in Lubbock. He's there. They're, they're exactly. going to drag it down and they're going to force. Now, Alabama, they've already, you know, put in Sarkeesian in. they've moved to more of a spread. It's that power spread that you can win with, but it's a spread. But now every team in the in the conference that maybe not Arkansas, because, you know, you have to like Pittman, you know, working with that O-line, getting stuff done, which, by the way, holy crap, Arkansas. But um, they got screwed. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But uh Everyone in the conference is going to be like, look, if I beat Alabama, my job's safe for two years. So if I just run this spread, I've got as good a chance as anyone to screw around and win one. And then my job is safe and I get the new contract with the better buyout. And let me tell you, all of a sudden, the SEC being in the playoff every year with two or three teams may go out the window a little because you're going to have some more teams with two losses because we saw what it does to the Big 12. And we'll get into all of that over the next couple of weeks. I just wanted to mention that. Because Stuart Mandel tweeted that earlier today, and I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty amazing right there. For sure. It was a wild weekend of college football, and we got the crown jewel, the piece de resistance, the quadruple overtime thriller. But look, guys, uh, is this the end of the backslide? I think we'll have to see. Randy, I don't know where you're at. but it's a uh, long way away. Yeah, yeah we, we can uh, talk about this going forward. But for me, you know, I got to see him do it again. But we will have plenty of time to break all of that down between here and TCU. We will have two more podcasts, obviously one this week on the bye week. One next week is the game preview. So stick with us. We are the Heisman Park Rangers. And once again, at Radios Ryan, at RJ Heights 1077. That's the two best places for all of your Oklahoma Sooners information. We got you covered. Until next time, just enjoy this one. Go drink and be merry. We beat Texas! <laughs>